Well, good morning to all of you who are joining us online or by television, and good morning to those of you in the room. And um, today, two of my best buddies in the world, one is sitting right over here, one is sitting right over there. Uh, I made a promise that if we won last night, I'd say two words. I made a promise if we lost last night, I'd say two words. And I'm a man of my word. So, Merry Christmas. Um, <laughs> especially in America and in many places around the world, there is a question that is asked over and over and over. And it's one of those questions that when you're asked that question, immediately you know exactly what time of the year it is. You don't have to look at your calendar, your watch. You don't have to look outside to see what season you might be in. There's this one question, you know, okay, it's that time of year. And here's the question. What do you want for Christmas? You'll get asked, I've been asked that already, what do you want for Christmas? And we know that it's that time of year when children particularly, and frankly, a lot of us adults, we make a Christmas list. As a matter of fact, a GOB banking rate survey asked thousands of Americans what they wanted more than anything else for Christmas. In other words, what was on their Christmas list? Here were the top three things people this year are asking for on their Christmas list, all right? Number three, an experience or a trip. That's the third thing they're asking for. Second, clothing and accessories. Now, just curious, can, can you guess the last one? Because quite frankly, I hear this more and more particularly as my kids have gotten older. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, cash and gift cards. That's what people want for Christmas. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back over all the past few years that about the Christmas list that you've made out and the Christmas gift that you have received. And let me tell you what I know is true about most of those gifts, okay? They're true about my gifts or true about you. You don't have them anymore. You don't. Maybe you lost it. Maybe you tossed it. Maybe you sold it. Maybe you returned it. Maybe you re-gifted it. Now, if you re-gifted it, let me tell you what the other person did. They either lost it, tossed it, sold it, returned it, or re-gifted it. Regardless, it's long gone now. You don't know where it is, and you don't even care. So I thought about that months ago when I was planning my series for this Christmas. And I began to think about what I wanted for Christmas. So I'm going to do a series. I'm more excited about it than any Christmas series I've done in a long time. I want to talk about all I want for Christmas. And over the next three weeks, I'm going to tell you what's on my Christmas list. And I want to be honest with you, this is going to be very, very surprising because I guarantee you these items are not on your list. I guarantee you they've never, probably never been on your list before. But I do believe this. If I do what I believe God's called me to do and do it right after this series is over, you will say, I want that every year on my Christmas list. As a matter of fact, let me tell you how good my list is. If every person on planet earth today would put this on their Christmas list. And if God would be so good and God would be so gracious, he would give you what's on your list. I guarantee you our world will never be the same. Because I, my Christmas list suggestions I'm offering today, these are gifts that money can't buy. They will always satisfy anyone who receives them. You'll never ever want to take them back. You won't ever want to exchange them for anything else. They'll last forever. They'll never gather dust. They'll never go out of style. You'll never outgrow them, and you will be forever thankful 
to happen. You say, whoa, 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 I want to know what's on your list. I hope you do. Here's the first thing that's on my list, my Christmas list this year. I want a redeeming faith. That's what I want for Christmas. I want a redeeming faith. If you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to a book in the Bible called Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I want you to turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. Now, before I get into this, you may sit there and say, wait a minute, I don't need that as a gift. Because look, I've already got faith. I mean, I'm at church. You ought to know that I've got faith. Don't you know I already have faith? Well, I know that. And it's a good point. Matter of fact, I know something else. Faith is really something we all have. It's something everybody exercises every day. We got up this morning, and if you did what I did, you drank water by faith. You drank water believing that water was pure, that water was clean, that water had no microbes in it at all, and it would be good for you. Every day, we get on airplanes. There are people who got on airplanes this morning. They just got on by faith. They believe the plane was safe. They believe the pilot knew what he was doing. They are flying by faith. We have surgery by doctors that we've never even met, and after surgery, we will rarely ever meet again because we just believe they know what they're go doing. They're going to do it right. But that's not the kind of faith I'm talking about. Everybody's got that kind of faith. I want to talk about a redeeming faith. So what do you, what do you mean by redeeming faith? There's a kind of faith that can connect you eternally with the God that made you. There's a kind of faith that can guarantee you you'll be forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, and future. There's a kind of faith that can not only give you an eternal life forever, it can give you a meaningful, purposeful life in the here and now. And here's the great news. This faith I'm talking about is not just for unbelievers who never darken the door of a church. This kind of faith is for believers who go to church whenever they can. So let me give you kind of an illustration so you'll think this through. How many of you know what a day trader is? If you, this is just, just curious. Okay, some of you do, some of you don't. Let me tell you what a day trader is. These are high-risk investors. They kind of jump in and out of the stock market. In fact, they'll sit at a computer all day long. They jump in, they jump out, they buy stock, sell a stock, and they'll do it many times every single day. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to bet on the market and capitalize on the price changes in the market. Now, they don't care one bit about the companies they're investing in. They have no loyalty to that company. They don't have any love for that company. They don't have any real concern for that company. They've got one thing in mind. All they care about, just make a buck. They just want to make a buck. That's all they care about. They could not care less about the company. We have a lot of people today who come to church, and they're day traders. If they feel like coming to church, they jump in. If they don't feel like coming to church, they jump out. If they like the church they go to, they jump in. But the pastor says one thing that makes them mad, they jump out. They're not really, really, really sold out to the church. They claim to have, to have made some decision about God, but they really don't know much about God. And outside of when they come to church, God's really not on their radar screen. They never fall in love with the church. They never really invest in the church. They never invest their time in the church. They don't invest their love in the church. They don't invest their money in the church. They just kind of show up when they want to and don't show up when they don't. They kind of show up when it's convenient and they don't show up when it's not. They're just like day traders. And here's, the, here's, what, here's where they're similar. 
They do want God, who owns the company, to give them dividends in the form of blessings, but then leave them alone. And I want to be very honest. That's, a, that's the kind of faith that is as worthless as the fruitcake you get for Christmas you didn't even ask for. I want to talk about a redeeming faith. Christians should not want that kind of faith. We ought to want a redeeming faith. We ought to want a renewing faith. We ought to want a reviving faith. We ought to want a faith that makes the difference in the way we live, and it makes such a difference, people see the difference in the way that we live. So the question is, what are the marks of redeeming faith? Might want to write these three things down. Number one, a redeeming faith confirms your salvation. A redeeming faith confirms your salvation. Now, in Romans chapter 10, Paul's talking about not a one-of-the-mill kind of faith everybody has. He's talking about this special kind of faith, this faith that really gets you connected with God. And Paul says this true, real, redeeming faith, here's what it does. We're in Romans chapter 10, verse 11. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, now every part of this is important, will never be put to shame. We'll talk about that in a moment. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. We'll talk about that in a moment. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone, that means everyone, by the way, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, we're going to unpack. There's a lot right there just to unpack. We're going to get into it right now. We're living in a world, as you know, of identity politics. You know what that term is? It's all over the place. It's everywhere. And we're constantly dividing people up into so many different categories. It's so easy to get lost. For example, we divide people today by their age, by their race, by their nationality, by their gender, by their socioeconomic status, by their religion, by their political party. And let me just say that labels are not always a bad thing. But here's what's so wonderful about the Bible. Have you ever thought about the fact that the Bible only separates people in two ways? And they're all very simple. Let me teach you. This is really fascinating. Physically, you're either a Jew or a Gentile. Let me just stop right there. That's why racism is just dumb. It's not just sinful. It's just dumb. Because God doesn't even look at race. God says, look, you're either a Jew or a Gentile. You're, you're either a black Jew or a black Gentile. You're either a white Jew or a white Gentile. Physically, that's the only way God divides us up. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. And then he says, spiritually, you are either saved or lost. So Paul makes it plain. He just said, you know what? There is no difference between a Jew and a Gentile, which means there's really no meaningful difference between any two groups of people physically because if there ever could be a difference between two groups of people physically, it would be between Jew and Gentile. So if there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, there's no difference between black and white. There's no difference between American and Japanese. There's no difference whatsoever. And then he goes on to say, and oh, by the way, both a Jew and a Gentile can have a saving faith. A Jew can go to God, a Gentile can go to God. A Jew can believe in Jesus, a Gentile can believe in Jesus. And Paul's already stated in uncategorical terms that both Jews and Gentiles, two things are true about them. They're both equally sinful without Jesus, and they're both equally saved with Jesus. That's the difference. If you're a Jew or a Gentile and you're without Jesus, you're lost. If you're a Jew or a Gentile and you're with Jesus, you're saved. So what he's saying is both Jews and Gentiles are equally saved with Jesus, and they're both equally condemned without Jesus. So there's no difference in condemnation, no difference 
in salvation. Then he goes on to say this. By the way, there's only one Lord of all things, of all people. He is the same Lord. He richly blesses everyone who calls on him. So it does not matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It does not matter whether you're a male or female. It does not matter whether you're a liberal or conservative. It does not matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter whether you are tall or short. It does not matter. When it comes to your need for Jesus, when it comes to your accessibility to Jesus, everybody is exactly the same. So in one simple, sublime, stupendous statement, he resets what a redeeming faith looks like. He puts it very simply. Everyone, say that word with me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, there's only one Lord of all things, all people, same Lord. He blesses everyone who calls on him. It doesn't matter what they do. So notice, it is a, it is a specific call, everyone who calls, and it's a specific Lord on the name of the Lord. Why does he say the name of the Lord? Because the Lord, word Lord represents God's covenant name, Yahweh, Jehovah. In other words, what he's saying is this. If you will call on the only one true Lord there is, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who died a perfect death, who came back from the grave, you will be saved. Now, some people don't like to use that word saved. And there are people who say, oh, that's, that's an out-of-date word. That is an old-fashioned word. Well, it is. The problem is the Hebrew word yasha is, is translated saved, this translated saved is found 160 times in the Old Testament. The Greek word sozo is found over 100 times in the New Testament. So 260 times we're told in the Word of God, you want a relationship with God, you must be saved. And the only way you can be saved is to call on the name of the Lord. I want a saving faith. I want a faith that I know brings me to Jesus and brings Jesus to me. I want a faith that guarantees me I'm forgiven of my sins. I want a faith that tells me I have eternal life. So here's what Paul's trying to get all of us to understand. He says, look, it doesn't matter what you've done. And it doesn't matter how long you've done it. You may have committed adultery. You may have robbed a bank. You may have even murdered somebody. But he says this, I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. If you call on the name of the Lord you will be saved. That's worth a Merry Christmas right there, right? I mean, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That's why I can stand up here and tell you, the only barrier to salvation is not national, not political, it's not social, it's not sexual. The only barrier to salvation is if you refuse to personally call on the Lord and place your faith in a crucified, risen Lord and call on him to save you. And I love what else Paul says, by the way. Do you remember what he said? He said, all who believe in him will never be put to shame. If you're watching me right now, and you may be watching this a year from now, next year at Christmas when we televise this series, if you're watching me on computer right now, you're in this room, let me make an ironclad guarantee one of these days, we are all going to stand before the God who created us. And one of these days, we're all going to be called to account for the life that we will live. We have lived. Let me guarantee you one thing. You will not be ashamed at that moment if you have put your faith in Jesus. You will never be ashamed. You can put your faith, you can put your faith in the stock market, but it can crash. 
You could put your faith in a politician. He can lose election. You could put your faith in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. They can leave you. And I can bear witness and testimony. You can put your faith in a football team and they can lose. <laughs> you can do all of those things. But I want to tell you right now, if you put your faith in Jesus, you will never be disappointed because if you call on him, you will be saved. I want a faith. I want a real faith that confirms my salvation. Now, you may say, well, pastor, I've got that faith. That's me. I know Jesus. He's in my heart. He is my Lord. I love him. I've got eternal life. I've been forgiven. I'm ready to meet God. Wonderful. Let's see how real your faith is. Because a real faith not only confirms your salvation. All right, buckle up. Everybody do this. Buckle up. A, re a redeeming faith compels your witness. A redeeming faith compels your witness. All right, let's think this through. Paul's already said, you want to have eternal life? You want to be forgiven of your sins? You want to be saved? You want to spend eternity with God? You want to have a meaningful, purposeful life right here and now? Yeah, I want that. He's already said, okay, if that's what you want, you've got a call on the Lord. Well, if you've got a call on the Lord, then it stands to reason everybody's got to make that call. If that's what you want, you've got to make that call. Let me tell you what that means. That means if you're one of those people right now and you're going, boy, thank God, I've got a redeeming faith, then you also have a responsibility. Paul would have made a great lawyer, fantastic lawyer. He lays out his case. Now watch what he does. You ready? It's so logical. It's, it's an unbreakable case. It's irrefutable. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, his logic, and I love logic, his logic is not just impeccable. His logic is irrefutable. Here's what he says. Let's just go by piece by piece. Only those who call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. All right, we all believe that. I hope we all agree with that. Only those who call on the name of the Lord can be saved. All right? But they can only call on a Lord they believe in. They can only believe in the Lord they hear about. They can only hear about him if there's a preacher who tells them. They can only hear about him if that preacher is sent, and they will only hear if that preacher that is sent goes. So let's teach each one of those steps one at a time. Here's what he says. You will only call on a Lord that you believe in. Now let me tell you why that's a, such a big deal. Every time Paul uses that phrase, believe in, the point is, he says the only Lord you will call on is the one that you believe is the Son of God who died on a cross, came back from the grave, paid for your sins, wants to live in you, save you, and forgive you of your sins. That's the only Lord you're ever really going to call on. And what he's really saying is this. Listen now carefully. There's a difference between calling on the Lord and believing in the Lord. You can believe in Jesus and never spend eternity with Jesus. You can believe in Jesus and never really come to know Jesus. 
Because what Paul is saying is, faith is more than just intellectually believing things about Jesus. See, it's one thing to know about Jesus in your mind. I'll bet you almost every one of you in this, in this room, you can recite the Christmas story from beginning to end. I'll bet you more than that. You can pretty much, if I said to you, tell me everything you know about Jesus, you'd get, you'd get it all right. Virgin birth, sinless life, died on the cross, came back from the grave, one day coming again. You've got all that in your mind. You know that. One thing to know about Jesus in your mind it's another thing to trust Jesus with your heart. And the question is, how can you call upon Jesus to save you from your sin unless you understand that you're a sinner that needs a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus? Paul said, here's the answer, you won't. Do you really come to your belief in your heart, not just your head? He is who he said he is. He did do what he said he did. You'll never call on him because faith is no better than the object in which it is placed. So what Paul is saying is very simple. The Lord you must call on is the Lord you must believe in. Well, that leads to the next step. Well, how will you believe in someone you've not heard about and how will you hear about them if nobody preaches to you? Now think about that. Like, really, in truth, that, that's such a great question. Uh, great illustration. I read about a man and his wife and they got into a big argument. And they begin to give each other the silent treatment. Now, I'm going to ask how many of you married couples have done that because we've all done it. Okay, we've all done it. So, I mean, they were really upset. So, they gave each other the silent treatment. They went a solid week, and he didn't say a word to her. She didn't say a word to him. Well, the problem was this man was hard of hearing. And without his hearing aids, he couldn't hear anything. So, it didn't really bother him that much until he realized one day that the next morning, he had a very important fishing trip. And he was going to need his wife to wake him up the next morning because he couldn't hear the alarm clock go off. Well, he didn't want to be the first one to break the silent treatment. So he wrote this down on a piece of paper as he went to bed. Please wake me up at 5 a.m. Well, the next morning he woke up. It was 9 a.m. And he missed his trip. He was furious. He wrote on the paper, wake me up at 5 a.m. He was about to go find his wife when he noticed a piece of paper pinned to his pillow. It read, it's 5 a.m., wake up. Now... Here's a tough truth. Here's a tough truth for us to swallow. If the faith that we say we have in Jesus does not compel us to share the Jesus we have faith in, we ought to question our faith. That's hard, but that is true. I don't have any problem, and if you're a grandparent, you've got no problem talking about your grandchildren. Trust me. My phone lit up last night. I had no problem hearing from Alabama fans last night. <laughs> well, enough. Enough. But we say we love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's changed my life. He wouldn't be, I wouldn't be anywhere without Jesus. But we never talk about him. We never share him. A dear pastor friend of mine made a statement that shook me to my core. He said this. If you were lost and every Christian shared the gospel as much as you share the gospel, would you ever hear the gospel? Read that and let that settle in on all of us this morning. If you were lost and every Christian shared the gospel as much as you share the gospel, would you ever hear the gospel? Paul says, look, people have to believe in Jesus before they will call him, but they must hear about him before they will believe. And they will not hear unless someone preaches to them. And no one will preach to them unless they're sent and they go. That's why one of the four essential elements we talk about here in the cross-shaped life, worship, disciple, serve, sin. We talk about being sent. 
And I'm just telling you right now, if you have a redeeming faith, you're sent. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to be theologically trained. You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew. You don't have to have a PhD. But if you have a redeeming faith, you are sent. A doctor, a, a real doctor put it this way. No one can say, since I'm not called to be a missionary, I do not have to evangelize my friends and neighbors. There is no difference in spiritual terms between a missionary witnessing in his hometown and a missionary witnessing in Kathmandu, Nepal. We are all called to go even if it is only to the next room or the next block. That's why over the last couple of weeks we gave you that, 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 those ingredients for that banana nut bread. We said, look, take three of those kits, bake three of those breads, go to your neighbor, give them some bread, just invite them to our Christmas Eve service. We've asked you why. That's what we're called to do. So let, let me make the point this way. Let's put it all, let's, let's kind of reverse engineer it. Let, let's put this in the opposite order. Jesus says, preachers preach. You're a preacher too. Preachers preach. When preachers preach, people hear. People hear, people believe. People call, and the call gets saved. However, unless those who are sent go, there will be no preachers. If there are no preachers, people will not hear. If they do not hear, they will not believe. If they do not believe, they will not call. If they do not call, they will not be saved. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to brag. I'm being honest with you. I, one of the reasons why I know I've got a redeeming faith, I have a passion in my bones. I've got a fire in my heart. I want to tell people about Jesus. I don't want to just show, well, I show him the way I live. They're not saved by your life. They're saved by his death. I want to tell people about Christ. There's a fire. There's a passion. I've got a redeeming faith. If you don't have a sharing faith, what makes you think you have a saving faith? So a redeeming faith, Paul says, this is what I want for Christmas. I want a redeeming faith that confirms my salvation. I want a redeeming faith that compels my witness. And then Paul said this, a redeeming faith commands your loyalty. Now there's one statement in here that if you read it, you kind of treat it like a speed bump. You know, you kind of like blow over it. But I don't want you to miss it. Because when I talk about, when we talk about the gospel, you know, we normally use a verb with the gospel. We call it believe, right? Do you believe the gospel? And you must believe the gospel. I get that. But Paul uses a word that you're not expecting. And I want you to listen to what he says. What's this? But they have not all, what's that word? Let's say it real loud. Obeyed. Yeah, obeyed. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? See the word obeyed. Too many church people believe a redeeming faith just believes the gospel. No, it doesn't. A redeeming faith doesn't just believe the gospel. A believing faith obeys the gospel. A believing faith lives the gospel. So, for example, one of the ways you live the gospel, you do what you did today. You came to God's house, which you should have done. You give God his tithe and his offering. That's believing the gospel. You turn the other cheek. That's believing the gospel. You refuse to let political divisions divide you from a friend. That's living the gospel. You have compassion for people who are lost, who aren't like us, who don't look like us, don't talk like us, but we would be where they, were, where they are if it were not for the grace of God. That's believing the gospel. You get on a plane and take a mission trip, that's believing the gospel. 
You read your Bible. That's believing the gospel. You ask God to forgive you when you fail and you do wrong and it grieves you when you do. That's believing the gospel. A redeeming faith doesn't just confirm my salvation. It doesn't just compel my witness. A redeeming faith commands my loyalty. Because here's the honest to God truth about every part of our life. What you really believe in, you live. The rest is just talk. I'm going to give you an example. And it's the Christmas season. It's all about giving, so I may as well work it in. I've been a tither since I was a kid. I haven't made a dime in my life. I didn't give God a tenth of what I made. You know why I did that? Not to gain his approval, because you, you can't buy his approval. No, it's not because he needs the money, because it's not my money anyway, but he doesn't need my money. Can I tell you the number one reason why I've given a tithe of my income ever since I was a kid? Because I believe that God honors it. And I believe I cannot outgive God. And I believe God somehow, when I make him my financial partner, I can do more with what I do with 90% than I, with him than I can do with all of it without him. Now, if you don't believe that, you're not going to tithe. Plain and simple. So you can sit there and say, oh, I believe God meets my needs. I believe God provides. I believe it all belongs to him. If you don't give a dime to the church, no, you don't believe that, sir. You don't believe one word of it. Let's just get it out there. That makes you mad. You apologize. I'll forgive you. I'm just telling you the truth. I don't want to just believe the gospel. I want to live it. I want to not talk the gospel. I want to walk the gospel. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I love Jesus. And he has changed my life. And I have a redeeming faith. You see that old word? You know, the, the, the word believe, I bet you've never studied that word. It comes from the old English word by live. What we believe, we live by. The rest is just talking. Here's all I'm trying to get you to understand. It's just, this is true for me. If you want anybody else to believe what you believe about Jesus, you better live what you believe. If you want anybody else to believe what you believe about Jesus, you better live what you believe. You better be loyal to it. You better stand by it. Because you know why? People know you mean business when you really live what you believe. And that's why, again, there's a difference between what some people call belief. Well, I believe. No, do you have a real redeeming Faith. A former Harvard professor, Harvey Cox, put it this way. He said, we can believe something to be true without it making much difference to us, but we place our faith only in something that is vital to the way we live. So true. So, Paul concludes simply by saying this. We'll wrap this up. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. He says, let me just kind of wrap this up, make sure you hear what I've said now, Paul. Salvation does not come by intuition, some mystical experience, meditation, self-improvement. He said it comes by hearing the message about Jesus and believing in the Jesus of the message and believing in the Jesus of the message so much, it radically changes your life. He said that's what redeeming faith is all about. And at the end of the day, the only sin that will keep you from God and forgiveness and eternal life and salvation and life abundant is unbelief. God can forgive any other sin. List them off. Bring it on. Empty your clip. Lying, rape, stealing, arson, murder, pride, arrogance, racism. God can forgive all of those things. The only unforgivable sin is unbelief. 
refusing to have a redeeming faith. So let me just close with a true story. This happened just a few years ago in a Los Angeles suburb. There was a motorcycle officer, and he was on his way to work. And he's got to an intersection. A pickup truck ran a stop sign, didn't even slow down. So the officer turned on his lights and, you know, radioed the station. He's pursuing this truck. So the officer's thinking, well, this guy's probably just late for work or whatever. He thought about it. Maybe I'll just give him a warning. He had no way of knowing that the driver of that pickup had just robbed a grocery store. He had no way of knowing that. On the seat beside that driver was the paper bag with the money and the gun that he had used in the robbery. Well, while the officer's thinking, the guy's just late for work, the driver's thinking, oh, man, he's got me. He knows who I am. He knows what I've done. So he put his hand on the gun. The truck driver pulls over. He stops. The officer walked up to the window. He said, good morning, sir. And be, before he could ask for the man's driver's license, he didn't even finish the sentence. The driver stuck his arm out of the truck, fired his weapon only two inches away from the officer, hit him in the center of his chest, and knocked him to the ground seven feet away. For the next few moments, all was quiet. And then to the horror of that gunman, the officer got back up on his feet. <laughs> the gunman couldn't believe it. He said, who are you, Superman? And the officer pulled out his service revolver. He fired two rounds into the side of the truck. The first round went into the open window and destroyed the windshield. The second round went through the side of the door, ripped into that driver's left leg. When he did that, the driver screamed out, don't shoot, don't shoot, threw the gun out and the money bag out of the window. And the officer's life was spared for one reason. You tell me why. He was wearing a bulletproof vest. Great story. A few months later, another officer and his partner went to serve a search warrant on a well-known drug dealer in the city of Inglewood, California. As his partner knocked on the door, the other guy, the police officer, yelled, Police! Open up. And as he started to kick the door down from inside the apartment, four bullets came through the door. One found its mark. It hit that officer exactly where the officer had been hit, only, the other officer, only a few weeks before, except this officer said two words, his last two words. I'm hit. He slumped to the ground. The bullet had ruptured an artery and blood to the brain had stopped instantly and he was dead in 60 seconds. He was 27 years old. He left a wife, three children, and a bulletproof vest in the trunk of his car 30 feet away. Both men believed in bulletproof vests. Both men believed that vest could stop a bullet. Both men believed that bullet, that vest could save your life. But only one of them believed enough to put it on. So I suggest your Christmas list this year, if I were you, the first thing I'd put on my Christmas list is a redeeming faith. The kind that will confirm your salvation. The kind that will compel your witness, the kind that will command your loyalty. And the best part of all is you don't have to wait for Christmas morning to receive it. You can accept that gift today. Would you pray with me right now just for a moment? I just want to ask you one, maybe two questions, just two. We're done. Just two questions. 
It's one thing to say you've got faith. It's another thing to have redeeming faith. That kind of faith. Not a head faith, but a heart faith. If you have even an ounce of a doubt that you've got that kind of faith, or you say, oh no, I don't have that kind of faith. It's under the tree for you right now. Would you unwrap it? Would you receive it? All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you understand how simple that is? You know, I, I, I oftentimes I'll lead you in a prayer, and, and you know, you can find a prayer. You don't have to lead, let me lead you in a prayer. You know what? It, you can call on the name of the Lord. All you got to do is say, tell God, I, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe Jesus is that Savior. And Lord Jesus, today I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm committing myself to you. I'm asking you to come into my life. I repent and turn away from my sins and ask you to forgive me. You can do it in your own words. And here's the guarantee. You mean business with God, he'll mean business with you. You do what God says, he does what he'll say. So I wonder who in this room right now, I wonder who's watching me right now, but I wonder who in this room right now, you're doing that right now. You're calling on the name of the Lord. You're one of those people, you might say, I've never done it. Or you might say, you know, I did something, but I didn't mean it. Or you might say, you know, I don't know what I've done. I'm not sure of it, but I want to make sure today. If you're in one of those three categories, right now, you ought to be calling on the name of the Lord. And if you do, and if you are, listen to these words, you will be saved. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you today called on the name of the Lord, if you today nailed down your relationship with God, you did it today. You did it just now. When this service is over, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Out in our lobby, there's a table called Connection Point. Right in the middle of our lobby. You can't miss it. As you go out the door, go to that table. And all you have to do is just say this, something like this. I got a redeeming faith today. I trusted in Jesus today. I gave my life to Christ today. That's all. That's it. Don't say anything else. Those people out there are well-trained. They know exactly what to do to help you take your next step for the Lord. Now, some of you may say, hey, Pastor, I, I, I do have that kind of faith. I know I'm saved. Well, have you ever expressed that faith publicly? You know, Paul talks about doing a public witness. And you know the first way that you preach? You know the first way you're sent? Being baptized. We're going to be baptizing at the next service. We're going to be baptizing Christmas Eve. That's the way you are sent. That's the way you become a preacher right there. Without even saying a word, you preach a message in the baptistry. Showing you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Some of you, I know, I know some, I know some of you I'm talking to right now, you've never been biblically baptized. You haven't. We're baptizing Christmas Eve. Let me tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go out to the table today and say, you know what, I'm a believer. I have a redeeming faith, but I got to make it public. I, I want to profess it. I want people to know it. I want to be baptized. Three and five, Christmas Eve. You can go out right now. Yeah, I want the pastor to baptize me Christmas Eve. It'd be my pleasure. And then they're saying, so I've been saved, I've been baptized, but are you active here? Are you serving here? Are you involved here? One of the greatest ways you live the gospel is by getting involved where people live the gospel in a church. Finding your place, getting in a group, getting in a community, serving somewhere, being useful in the kingdom. Well, no, I've never done that. I've been coming. I haven't joined. Why don't you today go out to that connection point table and say, hey, I'm, we've been coming for a while. It's time for us to start living the gospel in this church. And then finally, now I'm going to ask it big time. Who's your one? 
Who's your one? Who's that one person that you know is? I was preaching this a while ago. Boy, God spoke to your heart and said, they're the one that needs to hear. They're the one that needs to hear you. You're the one that I'm sending and you need to go. Who's your one? Who's that one person you wish had been here to hear this message today? Who's that one? So let's not waste the next two weeks. I'm giving you this assignment, please. At the very least, not only do I want you to bake those banana nut bread loaves and do it because it'll work, but before this week is over, pray for and invite those people to come both to our services and then our Christmas Eve service. Father, I have a redeeming faith. I say that humbly, not braggingly. I want all of our people to have a redeeming faith. It's the only faith worth having. It's the only faith that we are called to have. And I, don't, I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that not one person will walk out of this room, not one person that heard me today would fail to do that. For those of you who are watching just now, if you'd like to let us know you made a decision for Christ, you can do one of two things. You can go to a website. Our website is uh, crosspointchurch.com slash decision. Or you can call the number. There's a number that you can call. It's 678-255-2566. Just text Jesus to that number. That's all you got to do. Crosspointchurch.com slash decision. Or text Jesus to 678-255-2566. We'd love to hear from you. And Father, that's my prayer. Continue to help us to be a church that's known for whatever else we're known for, a redeeming faith. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.